Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 31. And 31 is awesome because yeah. that is a lot of episodes, that's many episodes since Royce Bear's last time with us. And that was the 18th episode. And we're already up to 31 on the that's chance crazy, to have Royce Bear back. Seem like that long ago. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. So welcome back, Royce. Hey, it's good to be back. So now if you want to binge listen, you can listen to every single day for the month yeah and then 31 month day oh day right month. it'll and take you one month. month to listen to everything yeah. if you don't count <laughs> the royce bear bonus episode where he talked about his behind his background and talked about his background in cinematography that's true that was a bonus photography episode, yeah. plus the astrophotog podcast yeah there's one episode not two there's uh two pending so we'll get back to that today we we're visiting with royce and he's visiting with us and uh <laughs> today royce is visiting with us there's and, visiting uh, happening. he's visiting yeah we're gonna chat and so we want to ask him about his awesome astrophotography picture that was over Hanksville. And it was a butte that's un, an unnamed butte. Yeah, I, right? we, we looked on every map we could find. Nobody identified it. So we call it Hanksville Butte because it's uh, <laughs> just about eight miles west of Hanksville. Maybe they should give you naming rights. You can name it something cool. Royce Bear Milky Way Butte. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we, we call it Hanksville Butte. And you can see it. It's only like about a thousand feet from the north of the road. Okay. And, but it looks completely different on the other side, which oh. is where we photographed. We photographed it from the north side looking south right. because the Milky Way in the northern hemisphere is usually in the <laughs> southern part of the sky. <laughs> right. In the spring, it's in the east. In the mid-spring, it's in the southeast. And by this time of the year, by this time of the year, we're, we're at the end of April. It's in the southeast. It starts in the southeast about 135 degrees and moves to about 180 degrees directly south by the time the uh, astronomical dusk oh, uh, right. ends oh. in the early morning hours. You found this butte from just the road. Yeah. And what, was it something that the light pollution in the area made you think, okay, I want to try this butte out? Now, there's no light pollution in this area. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Hanksville, which is uh, eight miles away, I mean, it's only a town of about, what, a thousand? Maybe. Small, maybe, yeah. maybe 800. A gas station and it's a... It's got three gas stations, uh, two... Two motels, one of which isn't very good. <laughs> Have you stayed so there? Pick the I've not one. stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> I heard enough rumors. <laughs> it's got a small grocery store, which doubles as a pizza order place. Nice. <laughs> when we were in Goblin Valley, we expected more light bloom from Hanksville, but we got practically nothing. Well, and the beautiful thing about Goblin Valley is it's a deep, pretty deep valley. So those tall walls mm -hmm. really block all the light pollution coming in. It was really awesome. Yeah, we weren't even getting light pollution from the highway as the cars drove oh, wow. by, Nothing. You know, which is a 1,000 feet away. Uh, we had no problem even with passing cars. That's awesome. But anyway, we hiked up a side hill 
Uh, and uh, this is kind of a gray, light gray, mud rock, clay rock, mm. that uh, sedimentary that looks like the surface of the moon. <laughs> it's just unreal. But that, that butte um, has a nice notch between it and the butte to the, to the west of it. And so it really may, makes a, a good thumb and forefinger. <laughs> when you saw nice. it, did you see it on another trip and decide, I got to come back and try that out? Or did exactly. You s- I did see it on another trip going to Goblin Valley. <laughs> oh, right on. <laughs> and passed by that and said, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's come mm. back and do this one of these days. It's not just, I mean, those of you who aren't able to look at the picture right now, because I'm going to share the link to it on the show notes. If you're not looking at it right now, just imagine this. It, it's like a bullet. It's shaped like a bullet going straight up. There's nothing on the side. Sheer walls. And then that part that is the finger, I guess the rest of the hand, is a wall of cliff face coming up and having a gap between there. It, it's perfectly laid out where there's nothing on the east side of it to block your Milky Way view. It's mm. just like it's meant perfectly to compose an image right there with the arch of the Milky Way going away from it. It is just awesome. And of course you have to do it in the spring. Uh, we did this at the end of February, yeah. the last couple of days of, the last day of February, and you, and, uh, you can also d- do it uh, in March, and you could do it right now in the last few days of, uh, we, of April. Yeah, we've got the new moon mm. coming up. It's still going to be a good time for that, because I'm it very is. tempted. Yeah. You mm. could go, hurry and go down there and put your mark on it. So well, is that picture one you took this year, or was it last year? No, it was this year. It was this year, okay. Yeah. We're heading down to House on Fire Ruin, if you know what I mean, by Mule Canyon. If you go past Blanding, mm-hmm. there's this Anasazi ruin that's under. I know there. where it is. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, I took the wrong trail a few weeks ago, <laughs> and got the, I thought I'd take a shortcut. And right. I came up over Famous the ridge and looked down in there and going, I don't think I want to go down <laughs> yeah. through the thickets. Uh, I had two other buddies with me, and I was anxious to go down there, and they said, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the thickets, they're intense. Now, was it a repelling situation where you could have made it? Uh, I think we could have done it without repelling, but, you know, I felt like uh, Rabbit Rabbit saying, don't you throw me down in the briar patch. <laughs> you would have poked your eye out, scratched your face. It never would so, have made it. Yeah, so with that particular trail, you've got to come around the wash, right, and then park at the bottom of the wash exactly. and walk Exactly. Okay, that's and what we saw on the map. There's a, there's a little place uh, that has a bathroom stop that's about uh, at least a half mile from where the trail is, but you okay. can cut straight across north. Oh, and we thought, well, According to the map, the Google Maps, we ought to be able to just save a half mile here. <laughs> and you could, you know, but you'd have to repel a little bit. Right. And, and go through thickets. Through. Right. That's your machete way through there. Right. Doing old jungle movements, getting through there, chopping down branches, getting your path made. You could have made a path for everybody that we'd love. Maybe you could have uh, forged that path for the rest of us. But that shot is... Um, is something you you may want to do in the blue hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not exactly a Milky Way shot because in order to photograph the the wall on fire, the house it's a on fire, big old the panorama, walls, right? Yeah, it, you'd have to come way back because that wall behind that that wall is really blocking mm. the Milky Way. I was curious about so it. We Using wondering. the PhotoPills app, I was checking to see where the core would be, and it looked like it could have 
the wall and the Anastasi ruin on the left and then have some of the Milky Way visible on the right. But some, I'm not sure how much. Yes, you could. You could. Real wide-angle lens. So. Mm-hmm. And okay. putting the, the, the ruin on the, <clears throat> on the far left and mm-hmm. the Milky Way on the right. It can be done? Yeah. Okay, how's the other side of the wall of that canyon? Because I wasn't sure how high that would be and how much that would block us. As long as you shoot down the river... Okay. You know, going down the river view, or the creek view, it's not much of a river, it's more <laughs> of a creek, mm-hmm. and I think you could do it. And it would have to be a little later in the year or earlier in the morning. So in your early morning hours before astronomical dusk ends, the Milky Way should travel enough to the right Perfect. Or to the mm-hmm. south. Thinking about 2.30 is when it looks like it gets yeah, nice. Yes, I, so I was that checking it. 2.30, 3.30 should right. work for you. Awesome. Mm. Well, I mean, we were talking originally about the Butte and Hanksville, so let's go back to that one. I'm curious about your setup. You had a lighting situation there. Everything that you did to make that shot shine, because it looks fantastic. Well, thank you. Well, what we did is we put uh, an F&V Z96 light panel. A single one? Uh, just a single mm. one. Uh, about... Three, about 400 feet, 500 feet to the n- northeast of that butte and feathered it t- to the right of the butte. Mm. And uh, I showed on my um, uh, video, this yeah, uh, YouTube v- video, how y- you by bringing the light back for further than you really think you need to, and then ramping up the light, then and feathering it, you can make it so that the light is even for the the butte and the other side of the butte. You did show how if you were too close, you had a very hot spot on it. Exactly. So by by bringing the light further back than you think you need to, uh, and then bringing up the intensity a little bit, you even the light because of the inverse square uh, law of light. Yeah, you get that nice fall-off yes. hitting it instead of right. a nice softer light. If you're natural. too close to the butte with your light, then the fall-off is too quickly mm-hmm. in relationship to the other features. But mm-hmm. if you bring it back further, then the fall-off ratio is not as great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Okay, I'm picturing it correctly now. So when you're looking at the picture of what you presented, I remember the hot spot, but then the difference between the hot spot and the rest of the light was a huge gradient. But when you had it ramped up, tilted up, and you had that fall off more evenly spread, you didn't have a dark wall leading towards a bright wall. It was all just nicely painted. That's exactly. What you mean. Mm-hmm. Okay. By moving that light back, the fall off ratio is less extreme so with your setup there how well did it go i mean how what was your yeah, process i was able of to do it, to it with just one light and that's because i'm putting it at 90 degrees to the camera and so it hits the edge of the butte and gives me some nice sh- shadows did you go back and forth between setting up the light and your camera to see how it was working and keep going back and forth to get it to the right setting nope. or you just made one a good time. guess you know 20 years in the studio, it, <laughs> you, you, just, you just go, yeah, that's, that's going to be about right. Well, And when we went and looked at it in the daytime about two hours before sunset, and I'm going, Steve, Steve Bunderson was my friend that was with me. I said, Steve, this is where I'm going to put my light tonight, right, right over here. And he says, do you think that's going to be close enough? 
And I said, the question is, do you think it's going to be far enough? <laughs> because we don't want to see it in oh, our right. camera. And right. you had a large pano shot. Yeah. Yeah, did you end up seeing it in there and painting yeah, it in out? Yeah, in the pano, uh, let's back up a little bit here. I shot a 24-millimeter shot of this, and the light is just outside of the camera view. Mm. Oh, good. Okay. And, uh, and, of course, you're always wondering, am I going to get flare? Mm-hmm. If because it's just outside the camera view, good oh, optics yeah. that it, it usually doesn't happen. Actually, I got a little tiny bit of flare. What was your lens? Your twenty-four millimeter Rokinon? It was a Rokinon. Okay, yeah, but I got just a little tiny flare, and I just retouched that out. Mm-hmm. It was just on the side. So we yeah. were there shooting and playing around at. The temperature was seventeen degrees oh, that right, morning February. on February twenty-eighth. <laughs> You know, early in the morning, it was like yeah. four, four thirty in the morning. We mm-hmm. shot from three thirty to five thirty, which is when the astronomical dusk ended. And Too oh, cold. Steve didn't bring. I brought insulated boots. I had <laughs> insulated underwear, yeah. and he didn't have those extra things. And he just about froze to death. <laughs> I felt bad for him. Uh, I told him, you know, it gets a little cold out there in the early morning hours. He's like, uh, sure. And he believed me, but maybe not enough. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so we were there for two hours with that thing going. Light is on the whole time. And so we're able to do all kinds of shots and experimentation. Frankly, we shot everything from the same location. We didn't move around. We picked out where we were going to be. <laughs> we used uh, photo pills and sky guide to see where the Milky Way was going to be. We picked our spot in the daytime. We we looked at a couple of big rocks. Oh, that's where it, that's where we ought to be. And we walked up there, set up our tripods, and just did all this experimentation. The beauty of that, rather than move around trying to find all different kind of angles, is that you can take images from different shots during that same night and mm. combine them together. Did you? Because you stay in the same spot mm. with, <laughs> and don't move your, you know, your tripod. Did you end up blending any shots from different I did. moments? Yeah. But for the ones that you saw there in the video, the uh-huh. YouTube video, I didn't, except for the panorama. Well, guys, we have everyone joining us now on the Facebook Live feed. So if you're in the Facebook listeners group for Photog Adventures, then you guys can join us. If you're listening to this podcast later on, just know that we did have this portion of the podcast live, and you can go back to the Facebook listeners group and check it out. Back. Yeah, look at yeah. Brennan's back. Brennan's back looks yeah. nice and sturdy. <laughs> so I want to have a, I ask a few more questions about this trip when we come back let's take our first break of the podcast and then we'll talk more about this trip a few questions that I have and some listener questions that we have Hey everybody, welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. Let's go ahead and get right into it with Royce Bear on the Q&A from listeners. And I'll just go down the list with the first one that was posted towards us. This first question that was posted to us was about Sony cameras, specifically with Sony cameras for astrophotography. Have you used any? And have you tried out the Sony A9? Have you seen anyone use that or use it yourself? Well, that was just announced today, wasn't it? Oh, was it announced today? Yeah. What do you guys think of it? Sorry, Zach. He's asking what do you guys think of it. (laughs) At least I first heard about it today. I didn't even pay attention today. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What is the Sony A9? What do you think about it? Uh, I haven't received much information on it. I just saw that it was announced today. Uh, Manish Mantani. uh, Oh, yeah, that guy's awesome. He uh, he posted it on his um, 
Instagram. He was there oh, while they were at announcing the it. Yeah. Awesome. Was it at a trade show or was it just a Sony event? That yeah, they I think did? it was a Sony event. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I think he was back in New York or somewhere like that. Okay. Cool. So not much, Zach, not much information yet on that. So we'll move on with any other Sony camera questions. Do you have a Sony experience or mostly uh, I have a Sony uh, Alpha 7 R2. Mm. And uh, I like it. I haven't used it as much as I should because I keep, I'm lazy. I keep going back to my Canon. <laughs> mm. uh, the, the Sony actually does a little better job than my, my Canon as far as sensitivity and low noise. Mm. And the fact that it's 42 megapixels versus oh. 22 megapixels. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've ran tests on it. And just the sheer fact, even if the noise was exactly the same, the fact that you have an image that's uh, twice as large, <laughs> right. you know, twice as large, four times as many pixels, it just looks better when you print it up. Mm -hmm. oh, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, it's got some neat focusing features on it. Uh, the camera that I think is the, the best... The, the best Sony out there, in my opinion, and I almost bought it, is the Sony Alpha 7S II. Mm. Uh, that thing is only 12 megapixels, but if you, um, you know, if you stitch several images together, like I've shown you in some of uh, yeah. our videos, uh, you can get a huge image. But that you can still do a lot with 12 pixel, 12 megapixels. Mm -hmm. But that camera is so sensitive, when you rack that thing up to, what, what is it, 400,000 ISO. They go up to 400,000 ISO? 400,000 ISO, that <laughs> one does. You can actually focus in the dark. You can see Whoa. to focus with that sucker. Oh, man, that's part in of my question. In the dark. That's and incredible. It, it's just incredible. It's near infrared, practically. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But when you bring that down to about to shooting to 12,800 or to 25,600, um, it looks as good as the Canon, uh, what, what I'm using, the Canon 5D Mark Three, it looks as good as that does at sixty four hundred. I mean, it's it's a full stop, less noisy mm. than than the Canon, and at least a half a stop less noisy than the Mark Four. Awesome. And or the um, the Nikon uh, eight ten. Well, that sounds really like a good reason to test it out. I'd love to hmm. do a side-by-side -side comparison. Yeah. I'm excited for the performance of that. Do you use a Metabones adapter? or do you I do. Okay. Yeah. I was curious so about that. you keep all your Canon lenses and then... Yeah, yeah. that's what's, what's cool about it is all the lenses that I use for my Canon, either the, uh, the off-brand like the Rokinons mm -hmm. and the Tamrons and all my Canon lenses all work on the Sony. That was the reason that I bought the Sony in addition to the Canon is because I didn't have to buy new glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I'm thinking of buying some of the better Zeiss lenses. Those mm -hmm. are on my radar in the future. Yeah. 
So let's, that question was from Zach and from Kirk, so thank you guys. And now I have a question from Nathan. Nathan St. Andre says, just did some night photos. Why does red come through so strong on my Canon, but white light is so... Well, let, me, let me read this from this direction. Sorry, I'm going to read it towards you guys. So da, 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 da. why does red come through so strong, but white light is so faint? So he has his red light mm. coming through really really well, but then the white light's so faint. He says he's overexposed after five seconds with his red light, but it takes about 15 seconds for the white light to get overexposed. What is the reason there? Do you know what he's talking and, about? And you, you, I presume that you're talking about the red light from your headlamp? I'm assuming too. Hey, Nathan, let us know. Yeah, uh, but I've noticed that too, the red... <laughs> you know, we're always saying to people, use your red light, mm -hmm. you know, so that you save your night vision. And so people are always using their red headlamps, but they don't realize that unless they point those suckers way down, and instead of leaving them shoot out, that those suckers will light up things and it doesn't take hardly anything. Oh. Just a couple of seconds of those will light up a tree in the foreground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sometimes those accidents really look cool, but most of the time they don't. Right. And But the red, the red light, and the, for instance, on my headlamp, I think I'm at 150 lumens on, on my headlamp. Wow. And my on my white light and my red light is only 25 lumens and yet that thing will j that 25 lumens will just wipe out <laughs> okay i mean it's so uh the light is so pure i mean so rich and intense red mm -hmm. that it just shows up like gangbusters. I've been blinded by Brendan's headlamp with his red lights. So oh, well, I've got two red lights on mine. They're really intense. <laughs> so so just so just because you've got your red headlamp on in order to reduce the intensity and to save your night vision, you still got to turn that sucker off. I'm at workshops, mm -hmm. you know, we've got six people around and everybody's got the red headlamp and they're using it to adjust their camera settings and mm -hmm. move their right. tripod right. around so they don't wipe everybody out. But we've got we have to say okay, lights off completely. And that means red lights right. as well <laughs> right. because they're the worst. Mm -hmm. They can be the worst. One of my favorite sites is a silo just past Eureka that was a perfect location for a quick dark sky about 40 minutes from home. And now there's a red light on the train tracks that isn't turning off like it used to. And it just light paints the entire silo. It's far down the road, and yet it's still lighting everything up. So I just I can't even use it anymore unless I can find that off. And, and here's another issue. Uh, we all, the Nikon users hate the Canon users in front of them, <laughs> when they're exposing that little red light on the yes. back of their camera oh, is yeah. glowing. <laughs> and in workshops, we've had to issue out pieces of uh, gaffer's, uh, not tape. gaffer's tape to cover <laughs> those just so that everybody's polite. Because uh, if you've got one in front of you, a guy in front of you, and that light is glowing because it glows every time that uh, you're exposing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Yeah. If the shutter's open, that thing's glowing, right? And if he's just outside your lens vision, 
it can actually cause lead lens lens flare. Really, red lens, lens flare yeah. on there. Fla flaring into the black areas of your picture <laughs> if he's oh, just crazy. outside the vision. Yeah. And so and it lowers the contrast of your image. And mm -hmm. so we've had to use the little squares of duct tape on there. We've that, done that with ours too. A big time reason yeah. to have gaffer's tape on your tripod at all times. Did you show up with friends? I know that night that we were out with you, you asked if anyone had gaffer's tape because we, now we had four people lined up there and that's why you were asking. Make sure you have a light bleed. So let's yeah. go to the next question. Next question comes from Ken Lee. Then we'll go back to Zach because Zach has an awesome question again. Ken Lee asks, what feature on a camera or lens would you love to see the most that is not already there? Hmm. That's a big. That's a good question. Let me go back to the duct tape, gaffer tape. I accidentally yeah. said duct tape instead of gaffer's tape. <laughs> right. And uh, don't use duct tape because it'll leave residue. Oh yeah, it's nasty stuff. Nasty yeah. stuff. Yeah, make it sure you're buying gaffer's well. tape. Yeah. yeah, gaffer's <laughs> tape. And gaffer's tape is a photographic. It comes from the film, video film industry. Mm -hmm. It's great and stuff. Great stuff. And yeah. it has more cloth fiber in it. Right, right. Than the, than the other. Mine was right here. And it's reusable it. in a lot of ways, too. Which yeah, is it is, is reusable. And the reason why it was invented so that it didn't take the paint off the walls, uh, if, ah. you, if you pull it off the, within 24 hours, uh, it, it looks like duct tape, but it doesn't have that plastic look. It is yeah. real. It is real cloth tape. It's not plastic. It's easy tape. to rip, and it's, it's easy to rip. Really easy to manage. Yeah. Yeah. But still very sticky and useful. But, uh, yeah. Very sticky, but the adhesive releases. Yes. And so it. Uh, if you're putting it on somebody's furniture or wall, it will not take the paint off the wall mm -hmm. if you <laughs> do it within 24 hours. So let's go, if you have an answer for Ken's question, let's go with that. Otherwise, go to Zach's if you want to think more about what feature you feel is missing and would love to have. Yeah. I, I wish there was a... Yeah, let me think about that. Think one. about that? Okay, yeah. let's go to Zach's. He says, stacking photos or star tracking photos, which would you rather do for clarity or any reason? Well, d definitely tracking will give you the highest results, okay. the best results. You can get, you can lower your ISO and uh, down to, you know, 400, 800, 1600. I would lower it at least to 3200, if not 1600, but you can go 800 and 400. It yeah. just takes a longer exposure. You get lower it down to ISO 400, and you're going to have to be there, you know, four or five minutes in order to uh, to get a good image. Lowering that ISO down uh, produces higher dynamic range as well as lower noise. Just because so, the contrast is there and you're not bringing out everything to a higher exposure? Why would it bring uh, more dynamic range? That's just the way your sensor performs. The oh. lower the I ISO, the higher the dynamic range of your sensor. Oh, so okay. you, you lose almost a stop to two stops of dynamic range uh, when you get into the higher ISOs. I see. And so the... The tracking is is the better way to go if you can, but it requires an additional piece of equipment, and it requires alignment, and it requires just more work. Yeah. So you don't get as high a dynamic range. The only the only benefit that stacking is giving you is lowering the noise. 
because you're stacking several images on top of each other, each of which has a different noise pattern, mm -hmm. and those noise patterns cancel each other out when they're stacked mm -hmm. on top of each which other. Which is pretty cool. Which is a very cool feature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes in order to do stacking properly, you have to double uh, your ISO in order to make sure that your stars are completely stopped. Let's say if you're oh. normally doing 6400 ISO and you're doing a 30-second exposure, if you blow that up, you'll notice that your stars still are trailing yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So if you knock down to 15 seconds, you'll, your stars might be tack sharp. For that I see lens. What you're but you're going to have to double the ISO maybe to 12,800. Mm. Well, with stacking, uh, that does, that's not a problem. If you do about nine images, that the uh, noise between the stars is going to be as smooth as the baby's bum. <laughs> nice. It really is. But you've by bringing that ISO up another click, you've lost a little bit of dynamic range. Remember, you probably mm. lost a quarter to half stop of dynamic range by going those higher ISOs up to 12,800. 12, you, you're already lost a stop of dynamic range by being at 6,400 in the first place. Wow, okay. By knocking down to around 800 ISO with tracking, you've picked up all the dynamic range that that uh, sensor is capable of. Hmm. By the time you get around 400, 800. Am I okay to make a guess that stacking is going to give me fewer results of airglow than tracking because of the dynamic range? Because it's very low contrast, the airglow. Is it something that will affect how much more or less I get in my image if it's at all there? One of... Uh, not too bad. Remember that as you raise the ISO, you're also going to raise the chromatic noise, the color noise. Mm, yeah. And what, what color noise is, is that, um, well, you often bring different colors into the, into the picture, but with Canon sensors especially, I get what is called magenta um, blooming. And that is where the magenta comes up a little stronger than the other colors. Well, magenta is almost opposite of the blue-green air glow, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. So by raising that ISO, you could uh, dumb down some of the air glow. Cancels it out. Cancels yeah, it out yeah. a little bit. But stacking is a wonderful, quick, and easy way to improve the quality of your pictures. And it's a poor man's uh, method, <laughs> yeah. too, because mm -hmm. you didn't have to buy any extra equipment, did <laughs> right. you? And a Hundreds. lot of software's free, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, use stacking wherever you, you can. Uh, Mani Manish Mamtani, um, who's an, a photographer from India, who I featured in the... Uh, uh, in the presentation? The presentation, mm. the YouTube presentation, he does, uh, he does panos, pano stitchings, with seven stacks for each ah, exposure. Yeah. And those images are just gorgeous. They really are. Mm. So it, it's, it's a cheap and quick method to increasing quality. But if you really want to get snobbish quality, then <laughs> tracking is, is still the best way to go. 
I'm definitely tempted to get snobbish quality. I think I'm on board with that. I think <laughs> I'm definitely worth not trying. too proud to say it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so it, just but it requires additional equipment, alignment, you know, because yeah, you have to line with the North for, Store. Yeah, yeah, more setup. learning curve. And the exposure. Remember, each, each exposure can be three or four minutes or more. Right. And uh, whereas stacking, let's say you do seven... Uh, 15, 10 or 15 second exposures. I mean, how long does that take? Right. A minute. Yeah. A minute and a half at most right. versus five. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's, it's, so it's time investment and money investment and equipment carrying, you know, right. Power investment to bring something out and about. So, well, yeah. Kevin is asking, Kevin Bell has asked us, what kind of a, what number of images do you recommend for stacking? Do you think, he goes, well, how many photos would you recommend for a stacking image of a, he says Skype A crop sensor. I'm thinking he just means Type A crop sensor. Skype A crop sensor. It might have been a miss. Well, I know type, it yeah. is. I'm just trying to type, guess the Skype. I wonder if he's saying as an ASPS. And it was just his phone changing it to Skype. Yeah. Stupid iPhone. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> APS sky. Yeah, the the minimum. He's trying to say sky. So how many stacking photos of the sky do you need for a crop sensor? <laughs> it it doesn't matter whether it's a crop sensor or a full sensor. Okay. Either one will be fine. But um, minimum is three. Five is better. Seven is better. By the time you hit nine, uh, is about the most. For the most case. Nine is about the most you need. Okay. Uh, Manish Mamtani uses seven as his standard. Okay. okay. And of, that's kind of what... So maybe you didn't uh, see much yeah, improvement from seven to nine. Diminishing maybe. returns once right. you get past that. Yeah. Right. If you do, you know, around 10 or 15, you can actually lower your ISO a little bit because mm. the stacking helps build the exposure a little bit. Right, right. And, you know, if you get around 20, you can go... You don't have to raise your ISO quite as mm. much mm -hmm. because uh, it will build the exposure. But three is the absolute minimum. Five is better. Um, and seven's about my average. Okay. But if I... Let's say I don't want to raise the ISO. Uh, I'll do 15 and, and just, just keep my ISO the same as it was before. Let's say, for instance, if I was normally shooting at, uh, I'm doing an exposure of 20 seconds at ISO 6400, and I want to stop those stars dead in their tracks, I'll go down to 10 seconds. Well, that means I would have to double my ISO to 12,800. Mm -hmm. Well, I just don't. I leave it at 6,400 and maybe shoot 20 shots. And that will actually build the exposure a little bit and, and cool. compensate for the, um, for the underexposure. Oh, man, I can't wait to cool. test it out and put yeah. it more in practice. I'm starting at 7. I'm definitely going to do that, Kevin. Hopefully you'll get some experience out there with 7 stacking, and you can share with us how it went. But a lot of people uh, will do less stacking on the foreground. In other words, if you, right. if, you, if you want to reduce the noise in your foreground, and you have to process those separately, by the way, uh, you, um, well, you can process them the same uh, with your a Mac and t your Mac starry landscape stacker, you can process them all at the same time. Mm -hmm, so it yeah. doesn't matter. But for people who 
shoot the sky and foreground differently. A lot of people use only four or five shots for the foreground. They're not as concerned about stacking the foreground, reducing the noise as much in the foreground as they are in the sky. And mm -hmm. the reason for that is because you have more detail to hide the noise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you right. know, because yeah. trees, branches, grass, rocks, they have a lot of texture right. to them and they hide the noise That's a, a good better. point. Okay. Yeah. So cool. ever since your presentation, I've been trying to picture it and I, I keep forgetting when I'm sitting on the website, I'm sitting on the web and I'm thinking, I want to look something up. I forget always to look this up. I don't know if you guys have this in your life too, where it's something you make a mental note, I want to look that up online. And then you get to a point where you're sitting there in a web browser, you're like, I was going to look something <laughs> up. What was it? And you never can remember it. That's what it was. Neil Robertson reminds us that the Pentax cameras have that built in image stabilizer that you can use as a star tracker. And I'm trying to picture it hmm. is the sensor rotating is the stabilizer rotating the lens how is how are these pentax cameras actually tracking in the same way that you would you know use i just found iPhone? out about that that you know what is it the k1 or whatever yeah it is. i think so i think so they were talking about in the yeah. presentation and so i just heard about that a month and a half ago and i haven't really studied how that camera is accomplishing what it's doing okay me neither but it is uh you it is aligning that a lot easier than a stacker. Hmm. Uh, a friend of mine who has one of those uh, Pentex cameras said, you, you only have to uh, just quickly sh shoot a couple of shots of the sky over towards the, the North Pole area, and whammo. It, really? It, it does the alignment for you. It recognizes where it is in yeah. relation wow. to everything else. And it's like, okay, I rotate this way. Yeah. Wow. That's so really, it's, that's it's really incredible. And uh, it seems to be very accurate. Someone said that there are, there's another camera brand that carries that as well, but I'm only, right now, I'm only knowing of the Pentax. Gotcha. Another person brought this question up, and Neil is bringing it up right now, that finding a stacking software program for the Windows side is a lot tougher. Other than Photoshop, it seems like people only really know about Photoshop stacking. I thought David Kingham mentioned something in his book, or I might have read it in your book. What is it? I know Star Stacks I use for light trails, but it doesn't stack my images for astrophotography necessarily, or does it? Well, there's a there's a German program called I believe it's called Fitzwork. 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 Hmm. Okay. And uh, and it does a pretty nice job. A friend of mine uh, in Switzerland by the name of Rolf. Rolf Rohner, Rohner, R-O-H-N-E-R. The guy oh, you presented oh, wow. some yeah. of his images. That's what he's using. How did he get the elephant rock image in astrophotography over there at Valley of Fire? You can't. It was go like there a hundred and ten. Well, if he <laughs> <laughs> did he break the law? Uh, well, <laughs> he's over there shooting this, and a ranger comes by uh -huh. and yells at him and tells him, <laughs> "Get out of the park." Just Cut, kicks him right out. Get get out right now. You're not supposed to be here. Oh, and yeah. uh, he that says, um, but the sign said I could do this. Get out right now. You're not supposed to be here. How soon do I need to leave? <laughs> uh, you need to leave within 10 minutes. I'm going this way, and I'm coming back. And he says, that's all I really need is those 10 more minutes. <laughs> nice. They were, I mean, those guys over there were adamant about kicking us out right as the sun was starting to set. They were pulling yeah. up and like, okay, it's getting time to go. I was like, are you serious? Yeah, like, sunset. 
You're trespassing after sunset. What is the deal with that park? Yeah. It's got some fantastic landmarks, oh, and yet yeah. you can't go there after dark. And the he talked with the ranger afterwards. He says, why do you have to do this? Well, we've had people that have gotten lost. That's and it? And we have to rescue them, and so we don't allow anybody in the park after dark oh because come we've on. we've had some people call lost the park's not that big and it's not even that I hard know. to stay oriented yeah but that was the reason they say is because mm. people have got lost in the park at night and so they won't allow thank you stupid oh, people that's silly thank you for not knowing where you were so that now we can't go there at <laughs> <Yeah>. night <laughs> Jeez. so fits work fits were it's fits work F-I-T-S work. Okay, I'm work. trying to work. find it so I can link everybody in the group, but now I can't find it. So Fitz work. And with a Z, you think, for German Z? or uh, If you go on my blog, uh, nightscaper.com, it's uh, right down at the bottom in the latest in the blog. Okay, nightscaper.com, Neil. Go there and look at the very bottom. You'll see his link to it. I'm going to add that link right now, but everyone should be going to Royce's blog. And if you haven't already purchased his book or won his book through our three contests that gave him out, make sure you get it today because you have Milky Way time coming up, and this is going to be the season you want to have this information. So at the very bottom, Fitzwork. Oh, wow, very, very. Oh, so, no, no, go back up uh, before the comments. Yeah, keep... Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep oh, going. man, it's so beautiful. I see a Milky Way image, and I just want to stop and look at them keep all. Keep going, keep going. And it's the bottom of the current article. Remember, you're looking at, uh, there they are. Okay. Do you see it? Uh, it's right under the, the picture of oh, yep. the two guys. Fitzwork app. Oh, awesome, Fitz, guys. F-I-T-S. Fitzwork, not yep. a Z. Okay. Okay, I have it for you. Oh, Ken Lee beat me to it. Hey, Ken, good job. <laughs> I was probably taking five minutes longer than you because I was going back and forth. But I'm going to post it anyway. Let's see. If you guys want to pick my link or Ken's link, huh? huh? No, pick Ken's. I'm just kidding. Uh, right. So Chase Gilmore asked, can you describe your low-level lights that you use to light your foreground, and how do you figure out how to light your subject with them? So we went over a little bit of that already, but what else that can we... the light. Yeah, that was before we went live. So. Mm -hmm. so Chase doesn't know that we mentioned that in the previous part of yeah, the, podcast. It's in the podcast. So yeah. let's answer this for the benefit of the Q and A. Sure. Well, the light I use the most is the FNV Z ninety six LED panel light, and oh, uh, they have ninety six LEDs, and then they have a diffusion filter and a conversion filter that changes the. Uh, <laughs> The light temperature from 5,600 degrees Kelvin to 3,200 degrees Kelvin. And I just asked him if I needed to keep these on or if he bothered to keep these at all. And he uses them every time with, you said, the orange one on the outside, right? Yeah, that's because I shoot at night my white balance set at 3,800 degrees Kelvin. And so with this now converted to 3,200 degrees Kelvin, my foregrounds are just slightly warmer at 600 degrees Kelvin warmer than my sky so it 3800 degrees uh kelvin white balance makes my sky just a little bit on the blue side and then i like to uh light my foregrounds with a 3200 degree kelvin uh, so that they're just a little warmer 
These have a neat feature too. If you have more than one of them, it looks like you can slide yeah, them into you can each other. Yeah, you can stack four of those together into one oh, big light that's panel. That's awesome. But the low level lighting, for objects that are about 100 feet away, you can lower, turn the rheostat or dimmer down to it, it, where it just almost clicks off. So just above on <laughs> for anything that's 100 feet. At, at anything that's. Um, is about up to about 200 feet you can go at about uh, about eighth power at at 300 feet I go to about quarter power and at uh, 400 feet I'm at half power and at 500 feet I'm at full power okay so just barely clicked on that brightness that's right, right. there that'll take you up to 100 feet objects oh. 100 feet away Okay. Wow. This is barely bright, and this is full blast. There you go, Brendan. Ooh. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And now there's a in my ebook I talk about the law, the law of light fall off inverse square. Yeah. And you can go through all the mathematics on that, but let me tell you the easiest way to do this. <laughs> yes, please. Since I'm so good it's, at math. <laughs> after your eyes have become adjusted. <laughs> and let's say you have your light over here on a light standard tripod and you go and stand behind that light and you turn on the rheostat and you bring it up and then you bring it down until you can barely see the effect on the objects that you're lighting. So mm. it's not so much you can barely see the light there, you just barely see it happening on, yeah. on what you're so, facing. In other words, shut it all the way off and then turn it on and start bringing it up until you can barely see hmm. what, that it's making an effect. And if you can just barely, and I mean barely see, then that's about where it needs to be. Oh. Because what you're trying to do is balance this lighting effect on the foreground with the sky, the stars. Oh, and remember, yeah. with your natural eye, you can just barely see the Milky Way, mm -hmm, can't you? Mm -hmm. Well, you want the light on the subject that's in the foreground to just barely be brighter than the Milky Way. <laughs> this okay. is awesome. Hey, Chase, I know you apologize for asking this question again, even though we talked about it in the previous pot, unrecorded part of this podcast, but I liked his, his I liked the explanation in that one a lot better. Yeah. It was easier for us to do because we had the visual aid and everything. So thanks for asking it because now you're just giving me something to edit into the first part of the podcast. So thanks a lot. So let's see if we have any more questions. Kevin Bell's at work. I'm sorry, still at work, man. Of course, he's in the Pacific time zone, so it's not that late for him. Chase asks, what if your light source isn't big enough for your foreground subject? Do you then light paint? Yes, I do. Yeah. So if I get something that's just massive, like, for instance, uh, Thagala uh, Peak. Thagala Peak? Yeah. No. It's down by um, the Monument Valley. It's a Navajo Peak. It's the core, the leftover core of a volcano. It's oh. 1,500 feet. Uh, I had to light paint that with an 18 million candle power searchlight, I mean spotlight, mm. and light it for the whole uh, 15 seconds that the photographers were photographing it okay. at a distance of one mile. 
So the Whoa. so the thing is fifteen. It, the peak is a quarter of a mile high, and I'm lighting it from a mile away, four times that distance. A mile away. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And and I'm using it full power, eighteen million candle power, and I'm lighting <laughs> that, th- light painting that thing. And, I mean, it worked out perfect. Wow. That's amazing. You put that thing down after you turned it on, does it just light a bush brush fire immediately? Yeah, you're right, yeah. <laughs> you can actually, you put your hand f- three feet away from the front of that f- thing, and it is hot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Use responsibly, people. Is it a halogen bulb inside that thing? Yeah, or? it is a halogen bulb. Oh, and it's 3,200 degrees Kelvin, you know, uh-huh. like this uh-huh. is, uh-huh. right off the bat. Wow. How expensive is that puppy? Uh, it was about $80. Yeah, That's, it? About That's it? I spent yeah. more for my tiny Ectac. Yeah. And I bought I it in, you know, like a sportsman's Aww. warehouse or Cabela. But you don't want to be a light. You don't want to be a mile away from your camera when you light paint it, though. Hit. That's the difference. Record. Hit, yeah. hit the button. Brendan, hit the shutter. Hit the shutter. CB radio hit the shutter. What? Yeah, so Communicate we're, we're using walkie-talkies. Uh, my assistant is telling the photographers in the workshop, okay, Royce is going to start. He's telling me they're going. He's going to start light painting. So, everybody on the count of three, open your shutters. And you know, <laughs> and away first he goes. of all, I start light painting, and then they open their shutters so they get the full, yeah, the full yeah. fifteen. Otherwise, seconds. that first few frame is going from exactly. a dark frame to that, and then you get a blend between, and it messes yeah, up with right. that. Nice. Well, this is the last call for questions, guys, before we end this segment of the Q&A and end the segment of the podcast. I know that this is delayed a little bit, so it's I'm going to so give trippy. it a It's like a 30-second delay. It's crazy. Is it first full 30 seconds? It feels like it. It's, see, it's pretty nuts. Nine, eight. I guess I'm not even looking at the camera yet. I know. Oh, wait. There it is. There I'm talking to the camera. <laughs> okay, so no one else except Chase has... Oh, thank you so much from Chase Gilmore. Hey. Thank you so much, Royce. I it's mean, everyone's loving seconds. it. We had tons of people in here who were listening and watching coming in and out. That sounds great. And yeah. so this has been a great Q&A. This is going to be kept on our Facebook listener group. And those who listen to the podcast, if you're not in the Facebook listener group, because you, you just don't want the constant feed updates on your Facebook page, or you just don't want to hear everyone's story, or you just you feel like another reason to Facebook is just that Facebook is killing your life. <laughs> Everything keeps pulling you back to Facebook. I'm sorry and apologize to you, but it will be only on the Facebook page. Join it just for that and turn off your notifications so you never hear everyone's posts or constantly get that on your wall. <laughs> so we got one more from Ken Lee. Oh, you know, actually, he does have that question still. Did you think of a feature that you wish that these cameras had? You know, my brain's been going too many on these other things. Yeah, I you probably had a chance to, <laughs> so his to new, meditate on that. His I'm new sorry. question, or not even a question, I think it's just a lot of love. Hey, Royce, how's it going? Thanks for all your support and everything you've given my photography over the years. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and he does re-ask that question if we thought of anything. Uh, I haven't, my brain hasn't been in quiet mode yet to, <laughs> to do that. Yeah, I'm wondering how many people have had that thought for a long time. I definitely time, want like- the Canon cameras to have an intervalometer on there. I don't see why it can't. We have Magic Lantern, all those features of Magic Lantern. How could they not have a built-in intervalometer? Yeah, I think they I thought do it was now. a lens, not a camera feature. Oh, oh no, I think just a camera, a camera or feature. A lens. Yes, definitely. If it is a camera feature, I would definitely like to have an intervalometer on the Canons. The Nikon's most of the them. Nikon's already have it. Mm. Yeah, come on, Canon. Get with it. 
Focus peaking is not important for focusing at night, but it is nice that the Sony can pick up focus at night. So get the Canons up there. That'd be awesome. Yeah. What else do of course I you want? can you can get that on a on a any any Canon camera with uh, Magic Lantern. Right. But yeah. that's you know a lot of people are scared to do that because it means changing your firmware to yeah. Magic Lantern. And man, I like dove right in when I first heard about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just. And, and then there were <laughs> scary reports that people have said, oh, "I, I, I never was able to. It killed my Canon firm, yeah. firmware, you know." But I think you can rewrite that. But yeah. The other thing that I thought of that maybe is not night related, but I just wish that we had a depth of field blinkies. So, you know, the blinkies come on for when you're clipping in one color or clipping in a luminance. I wish it had a blink for, hey, everything here is out of focus. Mm. And it gave you sort of a focus depth of field preview with this is your area of focus. Well, if I could focus stack with something that here it is in perfect image and then the rest is blinking white, I know I got this section covered. Take the next image at this aperture or changing this focus to mm. here and see that visually on my lcd like screen that'd be so awesome like zebra, focus mm -hmm. zebra kind of thing. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly so i can't wait to have a drone that's good enough for night photography chase says he'd love to have oh. a drone for it oh, yeah I, my dream next year is to get two drones one to do the photography and one to do the light platform mm. and you know some i've t talked to a friend who's doing some a lot of drone work and he says right now already he is getting able to the state the aerial platform is so stable that he's done exposures as long as eight seconds that are sharp. Oh wow. Eight seconds on an aerial platform? On an aerial platform. I've been wanting to go out in a boat, but I know I can't keep it still. And yeah. mm -hmm. uh, aerial. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Thanks everybody mm. for joining us on this Q and A. Thank you, Royce, for being willing to hop up on a Q and A with us right now. Glad to do it. And we'll go ahead and finish the rest of this podcast and we'll come back after this break. We'll go into a few more stories and then we'll do gear time and tip of the week. Welcome back, everybody, to the Photog Adventures podcast. I need to correct the thing I said as we left because we realized we just had an hour of gear time and tip of the week. So we're going to forego that and the rest of the podcast, and we'll just yeah. talk to Royce. We have a story that we wanted to share from Royce as well as talking about the updates in the national parks and low-level lighting. So let's go with it. So you were talking about civility, talking about civility in photography. What were you... Uh, let's see, how can I better phrase that? Earlier in our discussion, uh, this is outdoor manners. I like that. Yeah. Outdoor manners. Yeah. So what makes you think about outdoor manners recently? What has happened? You know, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life in night photography that have to do with outdoor manners, civility. First of all, how did I meet you guys? Outdoors. <laughs> we were yeah. outdoors, and you were open enough and outgoing enough to say, hey, what are you guys going to do? Yeah, so I was with somebody else, mm -hmm. and, I, and we ran into each other out in the dark. <laughs> Remember, it was windy? Yeah, very. Mm -hmm. It was much very more windy, than I thought it was going to be. And our purpose of going there was to get glassy water to reflect right. the Milky Way. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were at Mirror Lake, and I said, um, well, actually, there's some couple of places that you can go that where the water is calmer it's sheltered mm -hmm. from the wind and you said well where's that and yes, i said please. well why don't you tag along and i'll take you there <laughs> and we went to two different places remember mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. i do and uh was it glassy oh Pretty it was cool. awesome yeah it was, yeah, it was I, cool. nice. so you know my message is to be kind 
to use good manners, be civil, but also be inclusive to other people. Mm-hmm. Now, occasionally that's backfired on me, and, I, and I've had a couple of jerks come along with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't happen very often. It happens about one time out of 20. How bad right. were they? What was it like? Well, let's not go into that. Oh, I wanted to hear it. I want to hear the juice. You know, the juicy stuff. <laughs> but, but let me tell you a couple of uh, interesting things. Uh, I was shooting the Molten Barn, the John Moulton Barn mm-hmm. in the Tetons here several years ago. And uh, with a, a group of uh, I was doing a workshop. Oh, cool. At, well, actually, it was a private thing. I had two, four photographers that were just friends, and we were doing it the day before a workshop. Okay. Oh, I see. So, you know, a little looser. There were a bunch of people there, private people, doing this, the same thing, only they were with another photographer mm. who wasn't doing a very good job, but... It was okay. But anyway, those people uh, were were from Florida. This is in the middle of the summer, but you know that when it gets dark in the Tetons, it can get cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's high elevation. Yeah, and the, the guy and his wife that were in that group decided to hang around with, with us, but they were freezing to death because <laughs> all they had on were long sleeve shirts. He had on a short sleeve shirt. Really? Oh. Oh, poor and, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Mosquito Alley, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said uh, you look like you're pretty cold. Said, yeah, I, I didn't bring a coat. And I said, well, I've, I always carry a couple of extra coats in my car. I said, let me go get uh, one for each of it, you and your wife. They got warm, and they had hung around with us, had a great time. He calls me up a year later and wants to do a workshop and has been on two other workshops. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. So a little step it, of kindness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being nice to people pays big big dividends. And I never expect anything in return. I'll tell you two other stories real quickly that I think are kind of significant. I was at Delicate Arch uh, a couple of years ago doing a workshop and um, there were a whole bunch of foreign photographers there from Europe, you know, German, Austrian, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And, but they seemed like they were, they all knew each other. Mm-hmm. And they were taking out their flash, their focus flashlights, and they were painting the, light painting delicate arch. And of course, I just wanted to set up stationary, low-level mm-hmm. lighting situation right. that everybody in my workshop group could use. You know, you don't have to try to repeat it, yeah. hit, hit or miss. You've got to let everybody do, do their thing. And so we sat there and endured for about half an hour them doing all this light painting, and it was just terrible. For one thing, it, <laughs> oh, no. you know, flashlight, LED flashlights are very blue, mm-hmm. yeah. and then they're hot in some areas. In most cases, they were just blowing out the arches mm-hmm. just terribly. Mm. After about a half hour of this, I stood up, and it's pitch black, and I said, hey, um, I've got a lighting technique that I've used here many times before. It's a stationary light. It's low level, and once I set it up, everybody will be able to use the same thing, and I think you might like it. Do you mind if we try it? It'll take just five minutes to set up, and then you can all... 
uh, use it. And these guys weren't in your group, right? Or they were? These were not in my group. Mm-hmm. So okay. there's there's like eight other, I think there were 12, 12 other people that were not in our group okay. of six, mm-hmm. in our workshop group. So they didn't know you from the They darkness. didn't know me from Adam, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I let them do their thing for about 20 minutes and it was all disaster none of them got <laughs> mm-hmm. anything out of it and of course i would take a picture with it to see how bad it was <laughs> and so i set up the light the low level lighting and i said now here's your base exposure that you can use this this light will remain constant and first of all they can see it mm-hmm. with their eyes remember the light is just barely above starlight if you put it right and i said now you expose for the sky at this exposure and this light will fill in the foreground and it'll be the it'll blend with the exposure you're using for the sky and they'll all come together into one picture and it's it'll just stay there and you can move around to your heart's desire yeah, do a pano yeah do a pano you can do time lapse and you can move around and it's going to stay the pretty much stay the same the angle of the light will change a little bit because you're sure. moving mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. And you should have heard the oohs and the ahs <laughs> within just a few seconds. All of a sudden, there was this peaceful satisfaction. <laughs> you know, instead of this, people were swearing at each other, and <laughs> they you know, before this, mad. before this, and getting mad. And <laughs> like someone didn't like this, and somebody didn't like that. Gunther, terrible job. Mm-hmm. And within within just a couple of minutes, there are all these oohs and ahs, and people were just going. And I'd say. And about after about five minutes, I said, "Would you like me to take it down?" No, I mean there's no. this big chorus, <laughs> and no, no, I just got here. <laughs> and so people started asking in their best English, "Well, who are you?" You know, and so I <laughs> who told are them, you astrophotography <laughs> god. <laughs> and within a you know weeks, I got emails like you couldn't believe from these people in Germany and Austria <laughs> saying, "Are you?" I, let me show you how neat my picture came out. <laughs> That's know? awesome. So, you know, it's it's just nice that you can help people out. Another thing, I was at uh, Double Arch here a couple of years ago, and we pulled up with our workshop group. I could see a bunch of light painting going on way up there. You know, it's a it's a quarter of a mile, almost it's a half that, mile away. It's in that section, right, where you have the roundabout, you have the big yeah, long so the windows area. all the different arches are around. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And it's yeah. over in that section you where you have to get inside it. Yeah. Yes, okay. Okay. exactly. I do know. First of all, we drive in and I says, now as we're coming in, guys, we're coming around the loop, I want you to all dim your lights and actually put them on your park lights mm, because nice. your lights are going to shine up into there and wreck what they're what they're doing because well, I nice can see some people doing. I says, as soon as we get to our parking places, I want you to shut off your lights and just sit in your car and wait oh, until I tell you. On, and yeah. we had to wait for uh, about 40 minutes. Really? And really, for 40 minutes. And then finally, they walk out. They finish what they're doing and they oh, walk I out. I walk up about halfway and they're coming down. I said, are you guys finished? And they said, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, did you want to use it? I said, yeah, if you're finished, we would like to bring our group group up. And it was Brad Goldpaint and his workshop group. <laughs> really? Do you know who Brad Goldpaint is? I actually and, don't. Yeah, he's he's a very nice photographer. He's He was featured on Oprah 
a few oh, years ago. Wow. So, I mean, yeah. he was chosen by the Queen of America. Exactly. And he, I don't even know who he is, darn it. <laughs> He's a really nice guy. He would have done the same thing for me that I'm... That I did yeah. for him. You were waiting in the parking lot, not because you thought their shutter might capture lights of what you were doing necessarily opening the doors. You were just thinking, let's let them finish up there. Let's first. let them finish because you know if we have our headlamps on, if we walk up there with their headlamps on, if we yeah. leave our uh, uh, car lights on, we are we're going to mess up because the the Milky Way they're shooting they're up into the arch yeah. shooting towards. They were doing shots up inside the arch, shooting south oh, towards the right. parking lot. And so everything that we would have done would have been recorded right. down at the bottom. I get right. frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I did for them what I would expect them to do for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it pays dividends. Well, with that nice. kind of a mindset, you got to go to these locations, understand people were going to go to the same spots that you are for Astro, most likely, unless you have a completely alone location. And you just need to remember what you're doing and don't leave your headlights on once you park. I know the train mm-hmm. trestle, we showed up and there are people on the train tracks already doing, making their own images at that moment. And right. so if we weren't paying attention or had our overhead light, what do you call that light in the interior of your car? The dome light. The dome yeah. light. I always set mine before I even leave the house to be off that when a door opens it stays off because i want my eyes to not get blinded at one last minute mm. before i head out there I'm, I'm almost a little adjusted as i drive because i'm in a dark location in my car which is the lights in the front you know the headlamps mm-hmm. going out so i can kind of get my eyes quicker adjusted if that dome light doesn't pop on on me and if there are other people in the area i'd ruin their shot i mm-hmm. wouldn't so i gotta think mm-hmm. about that you know if you're going to a very remote area and you're scared to death about that area if you yeah. haven't uh, if you're worried about wildlife, bears, cougars, and all that other murderers, stuff, yeah, robbers, murderers, bandits, knife murderers, uh, <laughs> bring all the light you want, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, play lo- play loud music if you want. If it, I mean, yes. pr- play music as you walk along. That will help uh, keep you from being eaten by bears because usually. A bear will attack you if it's surprised. If if you're playing music, you know you don't have to be very loud, but just enough uh, noise yeah. that that the the critters are not going to be surprised. You're not going to jump mm-hmm. on them. Uh, there was uh, up in Glacier last year. There was a park ranger that was killed by a bear. An experienced park I ranger. I know that story. He rode beca- his bike, right? Rode his bike right into it. Wow. You know, the bear. Complete surprise to Complete bear. surprise to the bear. And wow. I was thinking about that when we were up at the Grand Teton National Park. I always think about that. And it is comforting to have music. I went out alone, did a Milky Way shot during October, and I had my back to reeds that were about an acre, three or four acres of reeds behind me. And I could hear rustling in the reeds behind me. And I turned on the music knowing that I can just announce to any wildlife that I'm here. Don't worry. This isn't a shock when they find me out here. I also didn't think about the noise and the rustling in the reeds that I had behind me that I was thinking about heavily and really feeling jittery and nervous until I turned on that music. So Mm. another reason to have the music on is just to calm your fears, calm your nerves. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, we were at, uh, I came up upon a, uh, a group of photographers that were photographing and, uh, we just, we asked if we could join them and 
we said, and they said yes, because always ask you yeah. know, if you can join. Uh, don't join. Don't just <laughs> join right? and then yeah. yeah. Can I borrow that lens? <laughs> so we we asked if we could join. One person in our group turned on his iPhone really loud to play some jazzy music because it was comforting to him without asking anybody in our group oh, or man. the other group. <laughs> and I said, why are you doing that? And he says, oh, it, it makes me feel good. And I said, you know, there are people here that want the solace yeah. of, of the place. No. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, if you're alone out in the Thule's, that's just fine. But if you're right. in a group, that's... There's that's, an etiquette. That's not appropriate. Yeah. I know there's a camaraderie, too. When we went down to Yosemite and we're doing the... We're trying to get our shot set up for the firefall. Several people... I mean, everywhere you went, there were photographers setting up. And so it was a camaraderie and just an etiquette of... If you found a location, someone's already got their tripod up, and you're coming close, you just ask permission, approach mm-hmm. them, let them know, and say, "Are you? Do you mind if we join you over here?" Which all the other photographers did. Yep. That were around us, but then this this couple people without cameras. This couple, <laughs> this couple and this, this two, the, yeah, this young couple and the older couple came up and literally stood in my frame for like a half an hour, and I'm playing like playing football and snow playing fights. snow snow. Snowfall, you know, snowfall, snowfall. (laughs) They're playing (laughs) snowball fights with each other, and I'm like, "Are you serious?" Like, and I'm just waiting for them to leave out of my frame, and they just never left. And so, incredible. After after about 35 minutes, I says, "Hey, if it's all the same to you, do you mind stepping over five feet? Because you still have the same view, but you're out of then you're out of mine." He said it with that attitude too. So if you have someone getting in your way, make sure you approach them immediately. Because if you let 20 minutes go by, you get more and more frustrated, and it'll it'll be visible and audible in your voice. Yes. Do you mind just moving a little bit? Thanks, because it's really annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Talking about etiquette and civility, I know that I feel more and more that I want to just fight against the man, the man at the national park that says, no, you can't go out and valley a fire at night. No, you can't do this. And I am hearing this Arches story just getting sad and sad and sad thinking right now they're constructing stuff. And so you can't even go out in Arches at night. And soon you can't even go out with lights. Yes, right now there's a a light painting restriction in Arches for anybody that's doing commercial youth authorization. So if you have a a workshop group, you're part of a workshop group, you cannot do any light painting in Arches or Canyonlands. And so this year it's still allowed to go as a commercial group, but you can't light paint at all this year. That's correct. Oh, man. And next year... Uh, they said they will review that and see if commercial groups can even go do night photography. <laughs> so they were going to completely not allow any night photography for wow. commercial groups this year. And there was such an uproar from people who already right, have people right. signed up to their workshops yeah. and we would have to refund the money. And what about the people who've already done the airline reservations mm-hmm. that can't have. get refunds? Yeah. So... Um, the park service said, okay, we'll let it go for one more year and then we'll decide. But for right now, no light painting. And then you have the construction right now. You, you cannot enter the park after 7 PM because they're doing roads construction 
from Sunday through Thursday. They oh. have opened it up just recently for oh, Friday, Friday and, Saturday. and Saturday. So Arches is and allowing it's probably totally packed. Exactly yeah. what I was going to say next. Sorry. Because if you, oh no, you're fine. Because if exactly if you only have two nights a week that you can do it. That's going to be the worst time to do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. everybody else is going to want to do the same thing. And what if it doesn't align with the phases of the moon? Right. Oh, of course it will. Yeah. man. Okay, Arches next year is uh, up in the air for commercial, but for amateur, I can do anything I want maybe? Yeah. I think that you still might be able to do anything you want on the amateur basis next year. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. But we know that... uh, no light painting commercially this year if you're in a commercial group, a paid uh-huh. photo workshop for this year. And then access to the park at night until November is going to be limited to Friday and Saturday night. You mentioned that there were other parks that were considering it and maybe even starting it. Do you have more information that you can share there and which parks? Yeah, well, so far, only officially... Uh, Teton National Park oh. is restricting light painting this year. There is no light, excuse me. There's actually been a restriction for several years of really? no light painting in in Grand Teton National Park. It's just that this year, starting this year, they are enforcing, enforcing it. it. Oh, and wow. that is that is for everybody, not just the commercial Amateur people. included. Amateur included. So no, what I'm, are the features? Because the Tetons are so big. We were just there last weekend. I mean, it's such a big feature. Like, what are the There's features really that people There's really only a few things that you really need light painting for in yeah. in. Uh, Grand Teton, and that's for the the molten barns. Are they on oh, National Park okay. property? They are. So they're oh. included in the restriction. Yep. Uh, why did I ask? Now I know. Now I know I'm breaking the rules. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that terrible? Yeah. So but just, you can you can still do the double exposure. You know, do do one exposure for the sky, yeah. the barn is silhouette, then do a second long exposure that's four to six times longer to pick up the ambient. Uh, detail in the foreground but you remember that lighting is flat mm-hmm. it doesn't it have the character mm-hmm. that uh, light painting does so to go around that you set up your tripod several hours before yeah. take a picture right and then at the yeah, daylight, hour. and then exactly there are people that do that that shoot it during the twilight and then waits a couple hours until it gets into the astronomical mm-hmm. desk or an hour an hour later until it gets in the astronomical desk and the Milky Way is just right or two or three hours depending on where they want the Milky Way to be yeah. and then shoot that second exposure. But, um, you know, that's that's a tough way to go. Your tripod yeah. can't move. And right. With the mountains there too, you're getting flat lighting because you're just yeah. basically getting an even light that's happening that's glowing in the air. You're not getting a yeah, light source. It, but at least the glow is low in the sky rather than overhead. Oh, right. okay, yeah. Right. yeah. That is cool. So it is coming from a lower angle rather than straight up above. Yeah. So I look at this image, and I don't know if you meant, happened to notice on our YouTube channel, I was talking about you and David Kingham at the mm-hmm. Molten Barn. We were yeah, out there. Th- this is David Kingham's show. And that's an image from David Kingham that I like. Look at all the so air straight. glow. I know. And you can't plan for that, no matter how much you try. <laughs> <laughs> and that isn't lit, is it? I don't think it's lit. 
lit up at all unless he had such low light painting. He did. Uh, as I looked at that closer, that seems like there's just a little bit of of uh, headlamp or flashlight to get some uh, texture. But I, uh, if there is, there's very little. So mm -hmm. I might get away with headlamp stuff because they're probably going to allow you to headlamp walk, right, in the park. You just can't light paint. Yeah, you just can't light paint. <sighs> yeah. You just like, have the person that's over on the left light. taking the shot. Could you, t could you check your camera for just a second? <laughs> just uh, real quick. Yeah, just turn on your headlamp for just a second to check your camera. We weren't light painting. They yeah, were just checking the I mean, camera. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, besides the obvious, like, you know, flickering waving of an around. waving around on an object, how on earth would they even know or determine the difference between? I think yeah, they're it, bummed the about two. enforcing it. You know, the, the, the reason that this all came about is that they do not want to disturb the wildlife. And, and I applaud that. I, light I pollution, amen. Yeah, well, you, you know, the, the... Or just the, the flickering the, the, of the... Yeah. The superintendent has determined that artificial light is uh, dist would be disturbing to could be disturbing to the wildlife. That's what he said mm -hmm. in his his write up. Okay. And yeah. And I talked with them earlier this year when they were going through all the regulations and how they were going to enforce this, and I said, "Can we can we had head?" lamps to get to our destinations is that okay and right. so they they wrote that in there and said that that was was okay okay and headlamps and flashlights can be used then once they agreed to that i said well you know these low-level lighting techniques and let me show you the page that we've created lowlevellighting.org yes. i said they're like one hundredth the intensity of these flashlights and headlamps, can we use that style of, of lighting? Because they're l much less obtrusive to the wildlife and disturbing than the headlamps and flashlights to get to your location. No. No, just no. flat out not even thought it through. Yeah. Just no. What? And, wow. And, well, and I think it's because it's hard to write a regulation that would include that. But all they have to put is low-level lighting acceptable and have a yeah list, but what know, is the definition like who determines the definition of what is low level i lighting? nominate royce bear yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> but unfortunately as yet they don't want to do this mm. and we all know that headlamps i mean that lights from cars are much more disturbing to the wildlife all right oh, yeah. and they're Come driving on. up and they're down the roads all night long yeah, so that's aggravating. Uh, as one one photographer wrote on Facebook, it's laziness in their willingness to write good regulations. Yeah, in his I opinion, agree. Mm -hmm. in his opinion. So I'm not saying that that's my opinion, <laughs> but just it sounded. I was just quoting, and it uh, <laughs> sounds interesting, though, doesn't it? It sure yeah, it does. does. It, it reminds really me of Tony accurate. Northrup's video about dumb drone rules, and it's almost like they're adapting those dumb drone rules over oh, into man. other areas now. And it's just yeah. like, really, guys? Oh, so yeah. before we end this podcast, I just need to know half the park. Half the park is after dark. Is a theme that I found. I caught on to last year, and now. Canyonlands, Arches, Grand Teton. Yes, you can go out at dark, but you just can't really get a nice astrophotography shot that you're light painting. 
any other parks on the uh, horizon that are coming up with that same kind uh, there's of... There's been hints that uh, Zions is going no. to get a little tougher with the regulations. Hmm. Yeah. Last year, I got... Uh, Brad Goldpain and I wor- worked to get Glacier National Park to allow us to do night photography there. Because their regulations say... No photography 30 minutes after sunset. So it's like Valley of Fire. Yeah. Yeah. And no photography within 30 minutes of uh, sunrise. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. So is that amateur and commercial? Everybody. It's like Valley of Fire. Glaciers like that. So Brad Goldpain and I both worked to uh, get that regulation changed. They rewrote the regulations and... and said that if you come to them and tell them where you're going to be and they have the time to approve it, they will say, well, you can do night photography here, but you couldn't do night photography here. And their purpose is to save you from a bear attack. Oh, at night, huh? Yeah. I'd say there's a... 10 times more bear problem there at Glacier than there is in Grand Teton. Oh, wow. Okay. And so their regulations are to protect you from Something getting mauled, mauled by a bear. Mm. I had to write a, an itinerary of where I was going to be each night, and they got a chance to approve or disapprove. There were a couple of places where they said, no, I, we can't allow you to be there because we've had... A, quite a few bear sightings mm, okay. in in that area at that time. Wow, okay. That's how they re, they redid it so that you could do night photography. That's that cool. at least seems reasonable. I mean, they it are does. thinking about your safety. That's actually very rational. And they bent it and compromised. It wasn't just a... So it makes me wonder if we can somehow work with that in the Valley of Fire guys and see if they can... Lizard attacks. Because I think... Yeah, because there's definitely less likelihood of wildlife attacking you there. Bear attacks. But they just don't want you to get lost. So if they know where you are, yeah. right? And, and you I have know a, where and I you, am. And you say, hey, this is where I'm going, and I plan on staying in that area, then maybe they'll be okay with that. So that, that's a good idea. Here's I my like GPS tracking hiking watch. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yep. The one in Teton um, is adapted after uh, a Wyoming state law that doesn't allow you to use artificial light to spot wildlife in the taking of wildlife. While hunting. Oh, I see, like While fishing hunting. at night or hunting. Yeah. And so the superintendent of the Grand Teton has adapted that state Wyoming law into mm-hmm. their their provisions. Well, yeah. What Completely we're doing is is not anything like that. You're right. shooting with your camera. Yeah, we're not taking, <laughs> you know, we're not hunting uh, or pursuing wildlife. Not or, even including it in your ash photography. Yeah, yeah typically no. <laughs> It'd be amazing yeah. if there were a bunch of bull elk right there in front of the molten barn while you did your shot. But that yeah. just held completely still for 20 yeah. seconds. And, <laughs> and there are people that say... You know, I'm glad the park is doing this because, you know, we're putting stress on wildlife at at night. Well, let me tell you, our type of photography doesn't put stress on wildlife anywhere near what headlights do, car headlights do. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, this is astonishing and sad to think that it might go this way for a few years and get more and more national parks on board. That's going to be devastating, but I think they'll also come to their senses over time, too. With a backlash, we can yeah. <laughs> do some official studies or something. Official low-level light ambassador Royce Bear will come to the rescue. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. I hope so. <laughs> I hope we can all educate together. You yeah. know, point people to uh, lowlevellighting.org and help them get educated uh, because the low-level lighting is so much less intrusive mm-hmm. than regular light painting. But, you know, I've had to use regular light painting in in areas, too, like those long-distance shot at Agatha Peak. Right. You just have to in certain yeah. situations. Yep. Well, Royce, thanks for joining us tonight, and thanks for being on the podcast again. Many yeah. of you have probably thought during this podcast, how can I join Royce on a workshop? Where can I possibly go to find out about your upcoming workshops? Where should we go? Well, you could go to nightscapeevents.com. Nightscapeevents.com. Right. Awesome. I know there's one trip that I'm thinking about going with you someday. Not this year, but maybe next year. We fly in the helicopter, go down to the Grand Canyon, get some nice river rafting in. Oh, yeah. That sounds Mm -hmm. like an awesome trip with you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks again. Thanks again, guys, who joined us on the Q&A. And if you're listening to this podcast only and you haven't checked the Facebook page out, go see the video where we have the Q&A entirely on video. And a little bit of extra content will be in that video that didn't show up in the podcast edit. All right, you guys. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us. See you guys.